Hey, uh, this morning as we think about our discipleship, as we think about growing as disciples, which is really our main purpose as children of God, is, is responding to his invitation to come and follow me. By following him, it's not just a matter of walking along behind him. He's talking about follow my life, become more like me. And that's much more difficult. Uh, it's easier to say than to do, right? Now, this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the, the relationship between giving and our growing, right? Jesus says in the Bible that it's better to give than to receive. And, and, and if you think about that, I mean, we, a lot of us say, yeah, it feels good to give, right? But the question is, is it better to give than to receive because when we give, we don't have to think about those parts of our lives that we don't want to think about? Or when we give to others, we don't have to expose to them those parts of our lives that we want to keep hidden? No, that's not it at all. I think God's intention is that when we give, we actually grow. We practice the heart and life of Jesus in giving and loving our neighbors. Last week when we talked about loving our neighbors in the sermon, we talked about how it's more than just thoughts and feelings, but there's actions that go along with it, deeply meaningful actions. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul teaches us that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I don't think the point is that if I sow seeds of love, then God's going to pour out his love on my life. It's not a matter of doing this so I get from God what I want from God. The reality is God loves before we even realize that he's there. He's loved us so then we can also love. God has gone first. But when we sow seeds of love in our neighbor's life, we do get something. We do receive. Because when we sow seeds of love in our neighbor's life, we receive growth. Yes, they grow, hopefully, in their knowledge of the, love, of the love and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. But so don't we, as we practice the life of Christ in loving our neighbors. You know, at this time, we're going we're gonna to kind of continue on in our series called um, Make It, oh no, sorry, not Make It, Don't Fake It. We're, we're continuing in the series called Messy Neighboring. And this morning, I, 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 want, I figure, you know, we just kind of heard this, this heavy story, a uh, significant moment, and so I want to I wake us up a little bit this morning. We're going to do something a little bit lighter, a little bit fun, more fun, not to, not to devalue or, or to, de- to feel desensitized from what we just saw, but to just kind of lighten our hearts and shift as we direct our, our attention towards God's Word uh, again this morning. So uh, let's start with a little game. All right, I'm going to give you part of a sentence, and you have to finish it for me. So I'm actually giving you permission to kind of shout some answers back at me, okay? Um, so if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you need to wiggle or whatever to kind of wake your body up, go ahead and do it. But I'm expecting a response just in this few moments, okay? I'm not going to... I'll tell you when you can't give me any more responses. Uh, all right, you ready for the first one? This is going to be an easy one. It's beginning to look a lot like... Good, good. <laughs> it is beginning to look a lot like Halloween, but okay, how about this? This one's going to be a little bit harder. I'm gonna, we're going to be leaning on a, a certain generation for this one. Sunshine, lollipops, and I heard part of it, rain, rainbows and lemon drops. That, that was like, 
Yeah, I think it's gumdrops, it's not lemon drops. But anyway, yeah, yeah, rainbows was the right answer. All right, when the tough, or when the going gets tough, good. And then one last one, and then you guys can't respond anymore after this one. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Right, uh, that's exactly it. Fake it till you make it. This is what we tell ourselves when we really want to be something, when we want to be someone, when we want to accomplish something, when we want to have a character, but we don't already have it. And so we think, you know what? I'm going to fake it till I make it, right? You want to be more confident? Well, you tell yourself, just keep living your life as if you're confident, right? And then, then eventually, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Even if you're overflowing with insecurities on the inside, just pretend that you're, you're confident and, and you'll be okay. You want to be more optimistic about your situation? Well, just keep a positive outlook. Ignore the bad stuff and just stay focused on the good stuff. And eventually, your head will match up with your heart, right? If you've been following along in our series, you really want to love your neighbor better. You really want to be better at it. But your thoughts and your feelings aren't matching up with your actions. Or your good deeds don't match up with your, or sorry, your thoughts and actions. You love them, but there's no actions to match with that, right? So the problem is that the process of becoming what we desire doesn't happen just because we will it to happen, right? Like, I don't become a disciple of Jesus just because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't become someone who can love their neighbor well just because I, I, I've been told that's a good thing and I want to do it. It's just really hard, right? It's a little bit like this cartoon of Garfield, right? Garfield is more than just a cartoon that teaches us about this bottomless pan of lasagna or how valuable naps are. He teaches us other life wisdom that, that like, somehow if we tie books to ourselves, tie them to our head and our heart and our arms, that, that we're going to learn what's inside those books, Unfortunately, that's not the way it works, right? We, we can't just learn by osmosis. We can't will it into being and all of a sudden be a smart person. I think we also can't pretend to love our neighbors. We can't fake it till we make it when it comes to loving our neighbors. We can't say we love our neighbors and then not actually live out a life that exhibits that sort of love toward our neighbors, we also can't show our neighbors these kind deeds, but then be stewing with bitterness and anger and frustration on the inside. We can't fake it till we make it when it comes to loving our neighbors. When, when Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, he says, if I speak in the tongue of angels but have not love, I am nothing but a noisy symbol, right? I'm, I'm just a, a meaningless noise. We... We, we can't love our neighbors without having God's divine love overflowing in our own lives. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to take a look at a passage here in Matthew chapter 19 where a young man approaches Jesus and has a little interaction with him. And I'm going to read for us verses 16 to 24. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them and follow along as I read for us. If not, uh, the words will be on the screen. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. 
He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come Follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, contrary to what it might seem, the question, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life, isn't so much about eternal life, right? I mean, on the surface, it seems like this man's saying, what can I do to have eternal life? But it's not what it seems. See, it's like this man is saying, okay, Jesus, when have I done enough? When have I just reached enough? When am I good? When can I stop trying, right? But Jesus gets to the point rather quickly when when he responds to this man's question. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? Some translations will say, why do you ask me about who is good? Right? What what Jesus is saying is the attention of this man's heart is on one thing when really the attention of his heart should be on the one God who is good, who defines that Uh, what it means to be good. In Latin, the phrase is quorum Deo, living in the presence of God. I've heard some people talk about it as playing to an audience of one. Being in the presence of God, living before God, that all all matters of your life matter only first and foremost to God and your life uh, in, in, in living before him. Now, as much as this young man thinks he's got it all together, as much as he thinks, hey, I've been good with the laws, I've got that under control. Later on in the passage, you find out he's got great possessions, so the man's got status in society. He's obviously revered by the people in the community. But there's just this nagging feeling that it's not enough. There's still that question that nags at him that says, what else must I do? To have eternal life. See, at the end of the day, I, I think we would all agree that, that there's more to life than what this world has to offer, right? There's, there's more to life than getting up in the morning, going to a job, bringing home a paycheck, coming home at night, having dinner, getting in bed, waking up the next morning, and doing it all over again, right? There's more to life than having a wonderful time on vacation only to come back from vacation, and you want to be on vacation again, right? You're like, you need a vacation from your vacation. The, the, the gifts and the blessings that this world has to offer are not the answer, right? I think we could all agree to that. I, I think I've shared this quote before from comedian Jim Carrey, but he, he, he once said that he thinks everybody should get rich and famous, do everything they've ever dreamed of, just so they can see that it's not the answer, 
right? There's a lot of wisdom in that. When the man in our passage asked Jesus his question, we're kind of led to believe that this is, his question is around, what do I need to do to get eternal life? What do I need to do to, 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 to receive God's love and his, his, his blessing? What do I need to do to receive God's declaration of worth upon my life? God saying, you are, you, are, you are worthy of my love because I say you're worthy, right? That's, that's really the, 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 the question that we're looking at here. So let's take a closer look at this. In the passage, the man uh, is, it, we're, we're, we hear about his possessions. Is this, is this passage about the man's possessions themselves? Is, is it about their uh, innate goodness or, or evilness of, of the gifts of, the, of, of his possessions? Is it about giving everything we have to the poor? Is that what this passage is about? Is it teaching us that we should sell everything we all have and give it to the poor? Or is this passage about realizing you've got your religious life in check, you've got your professional, vocational life in check, you've got your, your, your kind of reputation in town in check, but you need to add one more thing to that list. You've got to have Jesus. Is it about giving Jesus a compartment in your life? No. It's about none of these things. See, there, there are many of us who have great financial wealth or very little financial wealth who are blessed children of God, right? If this passage really was just a prescription for us all to sell all our belongings and give to the poor in our culture, really there would just be a swapping of places in our culture. The rich would become poor and the poor would become rich, and we would be no better off for it. Does Jesus really say that you got to make sure to fit him into your life as, as one important ingredient? Make sure you go to church on Sunday morning. Make sure that you're connected to a local church. That's, you get, you're going to have to have that. Make sure you go to the gym. Make sure you have a job. Make sure you, you have a place to go, uh, you know, friends, to, together with, with your friends. But then also make sure you've got Jesus in your life. That's, that's a very important ingredient to have. No. See, what this passage is about, what this passage is drawing our attention to is the world's inability to ascribe worth and value, the very worth and value we all long to be uh, endowed with, right? What this passage teaches us is that our worth and our value can only be found in Jesus, I think this becomes extremely important when it comes to fulfilling the law and fulfilling that, that commandment to love our neighbor. Jesus says that, that, that the eyes are a lamp into the soul, right? When, when, he's, when he's teaching on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that the eyes are a lamp into the soul. What does that mean? It means that the eyes can shed the light of life upon our lives, we can take in the light of life through Jesus, or the, the eyes can shutter out the light and fill our, our soul with darkness. This is why Jesus also said in the same chapter that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. See, our appetite, the things we feast on, the possessions we long for, the, 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 the investment of our time and our energy and our focus, the things that we were passionate about, they can't help but shape us. Our, our lives are formed and shaped around what we treasure most. So what we learned about this young man in Matthew 19 is that, that his treasure was 
was, was really his reputation and his possessions. There's a culture in, in the Judean uh, culture, uh, sorry, there's a, there is a, a way of being, a, a, a description of, of the Judean culture that says that honor is something that was most important to them, right? To be, to be honored was most important. Honored is the sense of, of, of uh, value, of, of worth, of significance. And, and the way the people of Judea would, uh, would receive that honor was in their status in the community, a status determined by the amount of land they own. But Jesus' Jesus's ministry comes and, and, and upends that culture. It upends that value. Jesus, who, who said that he has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, who worked as, as a carpenter, who didn't own land, but was an artist, and worked as a carpenter, and had no place to lay his head. Didn't have worth and value according to the Judean culture. And so this young man comes to Jesus and he's confronted with his understanding of what it means to be worthy of God's love and grace and forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, you've, you've got it wrong. See, so what we learn about this man is what he truly values. When Jesus tells him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor... It reveals something of his heart. See, when, it's, when the passage says that he went away, the language is he was grieving. He was grieving because what Jesus put in front of him was a decision he had to make that was not just a matter of, well, I can fit Jesus in. It was a decision he had to make where he said, no, I've got to be all in on Jesus. And for him, it was just too hard of a choice to make. He wasn't ready to let go of his reputation. He wasn't ready to let go of his worth as God had, would ascribe to him. Let me ask you something, church. What is it that you treasure? You don't, this, is not, this is not that point in the service where you can shout out your response or what you think the finishing of, of the sentence is. You don't, even, you don't have to tell the person next to you. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. What is it that, that's most important to you? Your kids? The safety of your family? Is it your, your bank account? Your future plans? How about how other people view you? Is that your treasure? How other people in the church view you? Or how people in the community view you? See, I think it's important that we take the time to confess these things before the Lord. You want something practical out of this time in God's Word, then take the time, either now or later, to sit down with the Lord and examine your, your heart and your soul and say, God, what is it that I treasure? Reveal to me, Holy Spirit, what it is that I treasure most. And if it's not you, give me the courage to confess that to you. And then lead me in the way that you would take me.
We may be like this young man. We may be more like this young man who's lived the religious life and yet still lacks what's truly good. We may come to church thinking we've got a compartment of our life under control, yet we still lack what's truly good. See, what Jesus is asking of him right now is, young man, are you all in? Are you all in on the life of Jesus? And so if Jesus were right here with us now, I'm pretty sure he would say the same to us. He'd say, church, are you all in? When Jesus told, uh, taught his disciples, he told them, if you love me, you will obey me. Are you all in on that commandment? When you say you love God, when you say you love Jesus, would you say you're all in in your obedience to his teaching and his commands? Jesus also told them to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Would you say you're all in on that? Do you seek Jesus first and foremost in your life? Is he a priority, a, 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 a first passion of yours? Who is it you obey? What is it that you seek? Would you say that you're all in on this life, or are there other things that still sit on the altar of your heart? The reality is our heart is a place of worship. We're worshiping something in the depth of our soul. And it may not be Jesus. In the game of poker, from, from what I'm told anyway, when a player goes all in, I have a friend who's told me. Uh, when a player goes all in, he or she is committing all of their chips, all of, their, all, all of what they come to the table with in they're saying, I, I am so confident in this hand, I'm going to bet everything because I'm guaranteed to win, right? Now, in the game of poker, you can bluff, you can lie, you can say that you are so confident in your hand that it's guaranteed to win to scare the other people away from the table. But if you do that in life, if we really try to bluff in life, it will be one of the most foolish things we could do. You cannot bluff God. You cannot pretend that you have the winning hand and in the end of time realize, oops, I was trying to bluff, right? See, in the days of a global pandemic, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. We're not sure what the future holds for our, our society, right? We don't know with all the changes going on what they mean. We're, we're trying to dis discern if this is true or not true, right or wrong. A lot of the things that we've depended upon for, for stability and consistency have kind of been swept out from underneath us. There's a lot of uncertainty, very little confidence right now, right? But Jesus, who is the same, the Bible teaches us he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This Jesus is, will forever be the winning hand. When he invites this young man to be all in, he's saying, do you trust me that I am the winning hand? Do you trust to, to come along with me? Now, Jesus isn't inviting us all to sell all our possessions to come and follow him. That's not the point of this passage. The point of the passage is to say, what sits on the altar of your heart? What is it that's most important to, to you, that you that, that's a priority to you. 
See, life in, in Jesus, life in the kingdom is a sure thing. And it's not just a sure thing like it'll eventually work out. It's a treasure worth pursuing. uh, Jesus gives us this illustration in Matthew 13. Uh, Let me read one of them. There's There's a few of them. But Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, is that illustration about this man selling all of his possessions? No, the point is that he cast off every place of security and comfort that the world tells us is the answer and says, no, Jesus, I believe that you alone are the truest treasure, the greatest good. See, I think this is actually what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is not actually asking each and every one of us to sell all that we have. Right? Sure, certainly some of us can be stretched in selling off what we have because some of us will recognize that our possessions have become a God unto themselves. But the problem is, the problem is that, that, that this is not a God that will love you and ascribe worth upon you. Let me, I'm, I'm going to walk off stage for a minute because I left my Bible down here, but There's a verse I want to read for us that talks about this kind of who God is. And I want you to compare it. Like, will your money or will your, <laughs> you know, will, will things always turn out the way you hope they would, right? Will, will the things that you treasure most truly turn around and love you and protect you and guard you and celebrate you and say you're worthy of my love, Right? Listen to what God does for his people. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with his gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What God rejoices over you with loud singing? Right? I'm using money as the easiest example because we, we all relate to it, but, but there's many other things that could be our treasure that, that, that can become like a God to us. What of those gods will rejoice over you with gladness? That's the promise that Jesus is asking us. Are you all in on that? Do you believe and will you trust me that I will rejoice over you? I will reveal to you that you are worthy of me, of my love, because I say it. Not because you've done anything, brought anything to the table that that explains it, right? See, the young man in our passage walks away grieving because he couldn't let go of, of that reputation he had, of the possession. You know, for him to sell off all this land... What would that do to his family? That's their future income as well. That's their reputation. He couldn't, he was too afraid. He was too afraid to be all in on Jesus. See, I think the tragedy of this man's story is actually all too real and all too common. I want you to imagine Jesus standing before you right now. 
And on one side of you is a banquet table of all the things that you treasure in this world. Security, comforts, acknowledgement for accomplishing something great. The, the need to be liked, that's mine. A nice car, pleasing people. Fill in the blank with your own treasure. Put, put what you treasure on that table. You got Jesus standing next to you on one side and this table on the other. Which have you chosen? Not what will you choose, because this is not an evaluation of where are you going to go. Ask yourself, which have I already chosen? Because you have made a choice, church. And keep in mind, this, this is a, a choice that you'll make every day. It's a choice we make every day when we wake up. We're not talking about our salvation. We're talking about what, is I tr what do I treasure and follow after every day of my life? Today, when I get out of bed, will I choose Jesus or will I choose the treasures of this world? So I think the lie that the world will tell you is that it offers you, what it offers you is the answer. That it'll offer you the security you hope for. It'll offer you the confidence that your future will work out just fine. It'll, it'll offer you the comfort you need when you're stressed and, and without hope. But we know better, right? Honestly, like, we, we know better, right? We've trusted in these things and, and, and experienced for ourselves that they do not satisfy the answer that our soul longs for. We've heard Jim Carrey's words. We know that even if we were rich and famous, even if we had achieved everything we'd ever dreamed of, we'd still be in the same place we were right now. See, if you try to fake it till you make it, you'll still end up right where you started. What must I do to have what's truly good? What must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? Go all in on Jesus. Trust him. You may not know everything about him right now, but that's not necessarily what he's asking you to do. He's not asking you, get to know me first, get to know all my promises and, and, and all my commandments, get to know how I live my life, and then, then decide. He's saying, go all in. Right? In, in Matthew 6, again, I don't think, we're not going to have this on the screen, but in Matthew 6, uh, verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. We, we can't serve God and, and, and the treasures of this world. So what must I do to have what's truly good? Go all in on Jesus. Trust him. Trust that only in him will you find your worth and your value. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life and lose, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, there is a life for you to find. And that life will be a life where you are walking with a God who rejoices over you with loud singing, who exults over you with dancing. He, he will be the God who ascribes worth to you and value when you feel rejected or alone in this world, when you realize the treasures of this world are not a God. So recommit yourself to God's word.
to knowing Jesus in his word, to spending time with him. Recommit yourself to trusting God's word is true. And then obey it. Obey his word. By the end of chapter 19, the disciples are a bit confused. See, earlier in the chapter, when when the crowd brought children to Jesus for Jesus to bless, they're like, whoa, whoa, stand back, stand back. Jesus is too important to let these little children come unto him. And Jesus says, no, let the children come unto me. The world has a certain view that says that they're not worthy, they're not valuable. But that's not the values of God's kingdom. That's not the values of Jesus that we see. Now, now in chapter 19, we see this young man who seems to be the poster child for a kingdom citizen, right, in, in the disciples' mind. He's got land, he's got reputation, he's got great possessions. He, he's done pretty good with the religious life. He's done all, the, all the, the commandments that Jesus talks about. And yet, Jesus said, no, that's not, that's not it. So the disciples are a little bit confused, Right? If this young and promising man who's kept the law and has lots of possessions isn't worthy of God's love and hasn't done enough to have eternal life, who could? Well, really? No human could. There's nothing we could bring to God that would say, yes, you're worthy of my love. He created this world. He created us. Does he need my slop and my mess? And also my good looks? <laughs> no. Right? In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, there is nothing you can do to earn God's love and favor. He gives it to us freely if we will embrace it and accept it, right? He he asks us, are you all in? And when we say yes, he says, here you go. It's all yours. You can keep that. Only here, and this is is the part for loving our neighbors, right? He, He gives us his love and favor if we'll accept it. And then only out of the overflow of God's love can we truly have the power and the ability and the strength to genuinely love our neighbors, right? We all know that we're called as Jesus' followers to love others. That's not our issue. Our issue is one of obedience. However, our obedience in our own hands is inconsistent and weak. But when we allow God's love to work in our lives in such a way to empower us to love others, to trust that he will give us the strength to be humble, to be caring, to be selfless, only then can we truly and genuinely love our neighbor. Church, you don't possess the ability to truly love your neighbor apart from Jesus taking over your life. Apart from him becoming the most important and decisive person in your world, you have no hope of truly loving your neighbor in a life-altering way. I mean, for those of us who have tried, you know how messy it is. You need forgiveness every day. You need humility to go back and continue to love. You, You need the love of Jesus at work in your life to lead you forward. It requires more than just doing enough, as the young man in our passage was hoping for. 
It requires a total life transformation. And it's only possible through Christ. Oh, why? Why does this matter? Why is it so important that, that, that to love our neighbor, we need to embrace the love of God through Jesus Christ? Well, because it's the love of God that your neighbor needs most. They don't need your love. They need God's divine love overflowing from your life, spilling over into theirs. They, they need you to bring God near to them to understand grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Church, it's his love that our neighbors need. So when it comes to your neighbor, don't, don't try to fake it till you make it. Don't, don't try to do kind things hoping that your heart will catch up to them, catch up to you and, and, and all of a sudden you'll love them. Bring it back to the Lord in prayer. God, align my head and my heart that I might genuinely love this person, that I might genuinely care for them, that you might be visible to them through our relationship. So don't, don't fake it till you make it. Seek first God's kingdom. Let him transform you into a child of his. Let him saturate you with his love, a, a love that overflows into the lives of of your neighbors. Church, don't fake it till you make it. Go all in on Jesus. I want to pray. And, and, and as I do, I realize that there are some of us in this room who, who've come to that realization that it's time for me to go all in on Jesus. And as I pray, I want to invite you to, to pray in the quietness of your own heart. But we're going to bow our heads, and I would encourage you to raise your hand, not so I can see, because I'm going to bow my head as well. But lift your hand to God. Say, God, may you, may you shower me in your love. May you saturate me with a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to go all in. Transform me now, I pray, Jesus. I accept the gift that Jesus bought with his own death on the cross, with his resurrection to life, so that I too could have life. And I encourage you after the service, if you, have, if you find me, come find me. I'll be available. I'd love to talk with you, celebrate with you, and pray with you some more. We could talk about next steps. We could talk about where do we go from here. But let's start with heads bowed, hearts bowed before Lord, the Lord. And let's tell Jesus we're all in on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, some of us have gone further down the road of looking for the answers in this world than others. Some of us have just tried a little bit to see that this world would, would provide what, what we long for in our soul, that, that being told that we're worthy of you and worthy of your love, that we're lovable and valuable. But yet, Lord, we've all come to the same conclusion. This world will not tell us will not give us what we hunger and thirst most powerfully for. The love of our creator. The acceptance of God through Jesus Christ. The provision for a path to move forward on and a future secure with you. And so, Lord, I, I invite 
all those who are ready to go all in for Jesus in the quietness of their own heart to confess these words. Jesus, I admit that this world does not have the answer I long for. I admit in the sin of looking elsewhere than in Christ alone, in Jesus alone. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising to life and giving me life. Jesus, I want to walk with you by faith, day by day by day. God, I just want to thank you for accepting these individuals who have lifted their heart before you this morning, who have said, I want to go all in for Jesus. May they be like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Now may you walk with them, empower them, strengthen them to draw near to you through the Bible. To, to hear and see your promises. May your Holy Spirit quicken their hearts and minds and work in them. May they realize that God is not there just when they open and close their Bible, but with them at all times through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray for this kind of life transformation because as we go out to be a people who love our neighbors, we want to go out as representatives of you. May we not think, how do we change our neighbor? But may we consider, how do we show up and let them see the love of God overflowing from my life? That's what we want. That's the, that's the sort of transformation we want to see in our community. That's the, the sort of transformation we will see because you are at work. We trust you, Father. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.